coming up. It took me three months to look at my son's picture. Just seeing his car. It took me three months to look at his car. You thought you felt pain. Try looking for your child and not knowing where he is. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Daniel Robinson disappeared on June 23rd in the Far West Valley. He was last seen leaving his work site in Buckeye that morning. A month later, his Jeep was found in a ravine. Daniel Robinson has been missing for more than three months from where he was working in Buckeye, Arizona. I'm joined by reporter Josh Sanders of KPNX in Phoenix. Josh, tell us what we know about Daniel Robinson. I know he was there in Phoenix working uh, from out of town, right? That's right. Well, there's there's a lot we don't know. Um, I always like to start out with who is Daniel Robinson, because that's, I think, the most important uh, part of this story. And uh, he's a son. He's a son. He's a 24-year-old geologist that graduated from the College of Charleston. Um, his father says uh, he collected rocks and played two instruments and moved uh, to Arizona uh, recently to take a job with Matrix New World Engineering uh, to live out his dream. And he would talk to his family every day, especially his mother. And so, you know, three months ago when he did not pick up the phone or give them a call, they got they got worried. And so that was three months ago. That, that puts it back in, in June, right? And what were they able then to talk to anyone who you know saw him uh, in the hours or days that led up to his disappearance? Yeah, he was last seen the morning of June 23rd leaving his worksite in Buckeye, which is it's in the desert, so it's uh it's hot, it's it's summer. Um his worksite there it's accessed by this little dirt road and um you know, his family reported him missing after he was last seen by a coworker uh, that morning who had he had worked with for the first time, who uh, said about 15 minutes into the workday, uh, Daniel was acting odd. Now, he didn't really go into what that meant. And again, this was the first time that he worked with Daniel, but he was acting odd. And 15 minutes into the workday, Daniel got back into his Jeep and left driving into the desert. So uh, again, this dirt road. Um, but the way that he was driving or the direction he was driving, uh, this coworker found that odd as well. I, I will say, though, in in the police report that I've gone through, um, this coworker reported no behavior that he thought was, uh, you know, some sort of, of mental illness. So he's seen driving off and then later that vehicle is found, right? Can you tell us what police have said about that? And I know that they've the family, uh, I, I believe, has hired a, a private investigator to look into this disappearance as well, right? July 19th, so this is nearly a month after he was last seen, his 2017 Jeep Renegade was found about four miles from where uh, he disappeared uh, by a rancher. Police find the vehicle. It has significant damage. It's rolled over on its passenger side. Airbags are deployed. Driver's side seatbelt is buckled. No sign of Daniel, but they find his clothing. They find his jeans, T-shirt, inside out, faded orange uh, Matrix work vest, the company that he worked for, uh, boots and socks, his wallet, backpack, laptop. But here's the thing. There's no blood inside the vehicle. 
There's no signs of injury. Uh, there's no Daniel. So Buckeye police run this uh, analysis on the Jeep's airbag control module or the ACM. This is the uh, the black box you would you would uh, consider for uh, vehicles, which would tell you um, what happened leading up to the airbags being deployed. So it doesn't record the date or time of the crash, but showed that the Jeep was going about 30 miles per hour when the airbags were deployed. Buckeye police at this time and still don't believe there's any foul play or that there, you know, some type of malice or criminal act uh, with this. So David Robinson, Daniel's father, uh, you know, he hires a private investigator, Jeff McGrath, to run their own analysis. Uh, McGrath is not only a private investigator, but he's also a an expert when it comes to reconstructing accidents. So he runs this analysis um, or takes a look, I should say, first at uh, at the scene. And one of the things that McGrath said when I interviewed him was immediately when he saw the vehicle, he noticed that something wasn't right with it. He said that the damage didn't match with the terrain of where it was laying. So they run an analysis and they find that someone had tried to uh, start the Jeep 40 times after the airbags were deployed, 40 times. And he said, that is, uh, that's not normal because usually you would have someone maybe once or twice, um, but it showed that somebody was trying to drive the vehicle after the airbags deployed. He also said that uh, there was an additional 11 miles on the car after the airbags were deployed. So what that tells him is that someone drove the car around after it crashed. And so in his opinion, his conclusion was somebody drove that car after there was an accident. It just all sounds so bizarre, Josh. What about tire marks or tread mark? Any other evidence that they were able to to locate or find that might have helped sort of put this picture together or, or nothing? Right now, nothing. I mean, you got to think this is the desert. There's, um, you know, three months, well, you know, nearly a month afterwards. So there's significant, who knows when the crash actually occurred. So there's, you know, weather and, and nature that are going to have an impact on, on track marks. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, I think something that's important to this story is Buckeye Police, it's, it's a small police department. Um, and, you know, you think about if we go back to David Robinson, Daniel's father, you know, he's he lives in South Carolina. So when he realizes that his son is missing, he gets in the car and drives nearly 2,000 miles to Arizona to look for his son. You know, that's one of the things that the police report said early on, you know, he he wanted to be involved because this man loves his son deeply. And you can just, you get that from, from being in front of him, from for seeing, you know, you see the expressions in his eyes and how he is, he is tired right now, but he is, um, he is driven because he is passionate. He wants 
he wants to find his son and hold his son in his arms. And so he comes out here and he, this man, organizes volunteers, volunteer search teams for seven weeks. And every Saturday morning, they go out in the desert, brave the heat. I mean, they're meeting at 5, 6 a.m. Uh, to look for his son where, you know, and, and you know, it's, it's amazing because one of these search teams on July 31st, they find a human skull close to where Daniel's Jeep was found. And I remember talking to his father at that point, and that was almost a, it was a shock to his system because he's thinking, oh my God, this is my son. And the coroner determines it's not Daniel. So Buckeye police, you know, they, I interviewed them. They, they did a number of ground searches before the Jeep was found. They did a number of aerial searches, I believe four ground searches, two aerial searches. Uh, They brought in Maricopa County Sheriff's office, which has uh, more resources to help out. And, and all of that time, they don't locate any, you know, they haven't, they didn't find this human skull. It was actual, <laughs> it was actual volunteers that, uh, that Daniel's father organized. So now you have, you know, now you have, uh, you know, a skull that belongs to someone else and they're trying to figure out who that person is. Josh, I can hear in your voice. I, I'm sure you cover a lot of cases in what you do every day, but this one seems to have had an impact on you. It does because of the uh, the interactions I've had with his dad. I mean, I, I just, my heart breaks for him. And, um, you know, I, I, can, I can tell he's very proud of his son. And the other thing is that his dad often corrects himself. He doesn't talk about his son in the past, in, in a past tense. He, he's active with how he talks about his son. You know, when we find him. Uh, when I see him again, there's a special relationship there. And, uh, and, you know, uh, it's, it's my heart, heart's desire that he would be reunited with his son uh, one day. Josh, in your conversations with police, anything else you can tell us about what's next in their investigation? If anything, have they shared that with you? Yeah, Buckeye police uh, tell me that they are now, after being presented with the report from Jeff McGrath, the private investigator that Daniel's family hired, uh, that they're going to bring in outside expertise to look at the airbag control module, to look at that black box uh, from his Jeep Renegade, and see if there's anything that they missed. They want fresh eyes on it. And uh, a part of that is because of now the national attention that Daniel's case is getting. And anything else that you've come across as you've dug into police reports or information on his disappearance? As I looked into uh, the Buckeye police report, um, you know, investigators interviewed a number of people that had interactions with uh, Daniel up up until his disappearance. And one of the things, uh, one of the people they interviewed was a, a young woman that uh, Daniel had met through a delivery service called Instacart. It's similar to Grubhub and Uber Eats. And so he had delivered food to them. 
and started hanging out with this woman. Uh, they exchange uh, phone numbers. She sends him a, a podcast. Uh, I don't know what that podcast was, but um, you know he was uh, that podcast meant something to him. He uh, he ends up telling her uh, that he loves her and um, screenshots that she had sent uh, investigators. Now, this is only one side of the story. There are a lot of things that could have been deleted uh, when it comes to text messages and uh, with the cell phone. But he tells her he loves her. She tells him to back off. And the last text message that he sent her, uh, he said, the world can get better, but I'll have to take all the time I can or we can, whatever to name it. I'll either see you again or never see you again. So we don't know what that means. Um, and there was nothing uh, in, in the police report that would say that uh, Daniel wanted to harm himself. So, um, and again, that's only one side of the story. Uh, the other thing is, you know, when police went to Daniel's apartment in Tempe, uh, his apartment was immaculate. There wasn't anything that looked out of place uh, there were no bags packed. It didn't seem like he was going on any type of trip. Um, so that was interesting to me. Uh, and then the family says that after he disappeared, you know, on social media, Daniel's Instagram pictures started to uh, be taken down. And ultimately, his Instagram was uh, deactivated. So, you know, this... This 24-year-old just truly vanished. And that's what is so concerning to his, his parents, his, his family. They, they maintained there were no signs that he wanted to harm himself. There were no signs that he wanted to disappear. Josh, I want to play a little bit of a report from your station, KPNX, in Phoenix, Arizona. And it highlights uh, some of the issues surrounding this investigation, at least as far as the family is concerned. Daniel's dad, David, is calling out the cops for lack of urgency in the first 48 hours. Yeah, I believe that if they would have stepped up the plate at the beginning, I wouldn't be standing here now. The 24-year-old geologist was last seen leaving his work site in Buckeye on June 23rd. Since then, David feels as though he's had to wear two hats, dad and detective leading weekly search parties, and pressing police for a more thorough investigation, like fingerprinting Daniel's Jeep. I asked how can they be sure that my son was driving the vehicle without doing forensics work. The reply was that it was my son's vehicle. It is obvious he was driving. He also points to what he calls concerning conversations, like a detective suggesting his son wanted to vanish. But maybe he wanted to be away from his family to join the monastery. And become a monk. The Gabby Petito investigation shined a light on something people of color have known for years, and that's the difference in media coverage for missing persons. A viral tweet pointed out that national attention was being put on Gabby, a young white woman, but not on Daniel's disappearance, not on thousands of missing indigenous people. Daniel's father feels for Gabby's family. His heart goes out to them. He can relate, not knowing where his son is. But communities of color have had to take action themselves often when it comes to missing loved ones. Buckeye police told me this isn't about race. It's about a grieving father and finding Daniel and hopefully finding him alive. 
Now, there's also conversation surrounding Daniel's state of mind leading up to his disappearance. Was he experiencing some type of mental health crisis? Investigators spoke to a number of people that had contact with him before he vanished. And yeah, they said he seemed off. But David says there was nothing in his son's history that spoke to a mental health issue or that he was going through some type of crisis. And even if he was experiencing depression or something with his state of mind, well, that shouldn't factor into how police handled the investigation. Josh, I, I really hope we hear some good news on this case at some point, and, and we'll stay in touch. We appreciate your time. Josh Sanders at KPNX in Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. We're here every weekday, Monday through Friday. Be sure to subscribe to the show and give us a great review if you like what you hear. And if you'd like to learn more about the show and Vault Studios, check out our Facebook group, Inside the Crime Vault.